Uh, my son Daniel loves travelling. Uh, a couple of years ago it was Asia. Uh, this year, the middle of the year, it was New Zealand in the middle of winter in a camper van on icy roads walking and skiing on snow-covered mountains. Uh, and he dropped, uh, he dropped his phone in water and was out of contact for days at a time. Uh, but he made it home safely and now he's thinking about Canada, also in winter. Um, he loves it, but it's a different matter for Karen and I. Um, we can't help imagining the things that may go wrong. But as long as we get an Instagram post every couple of days with a photo like this one of a mountain or a burger or a coffee, uh, then we're happy. It's not unusual, is it? We just want to know that our family members are okay, that they're safe, they're all right. We may not be able to see them or talk to them, but we want to know that they're safe, that God is looking after them. Uh, And it's the same concern uh, that's at the heart of the topic we're thinking about today. We started our series on eternity last week. We looked at death. This week we're looking at what comes next. We're answering the question, what happens after we die? And that's a theological question, but it becomes especially important when a loved one dies. And suddenly the theology and the theory becomes a whole lot more significant more real. Where is mum right now? Is she alright? I just want to know that she's okay, that God's looking after her. We're thinking about the time between death and judgement day. Most of us, I think, are probably a little clearer about what happens when Jesus returns. For those of us who are Christian, we'll be resurrected, we'll live with Christ forever. But what about in between? Until that day, what happens to the Christian the moment they die? We're going to focus on one passage, Jesus and the thief on the cross. We'll address three questions about what happens to people who die. When, who and where. And then we'll consider one more question, so what? So we're looking at Luke chapter 23, begins at verse 32. It's the hours after Jesus' death. Uh, sorry, the hours before Jesus' death. It's the morning of Good Friday. There are two criminals executed with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And in verse 39, uh, one of them says, uh, they hurled in, one of the criminals hurled insults at Jesus, aren't you the Christ, save yourself and us? Uh, Luke 23:39. This criminal's joining in with the rest of the crowd who are abusing Jesus, they're ridiculing him. But the guy on the other side uh, was different. Verse 40, the other criminal rebuked him, don't you fear God, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a request that has nothing to offer. There's no, well, if you get me out of this mess, I promise I'll try harder next time. There's none of that. There's no help me out and I promise to be a good boy. There's nothing he can contribute beyond the plea, remember me. And Jesus' response gets to the heart of this issue we're considering today. It gave comfort to the criminal And it's given comfort to countless millions since. 
Do you see it there in verse 43? It's a wonderful promise. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It's an audacious claim. It's the sort of claim a lunatic makes or a religious con artist. Or there is a third option, that Jesus has been given authority by God himself, the authority over life and death, that means that within a few short hours Jesus himself will be in paradise, but beyond that he's got God's authority to judge who else is worthy of paradise. And then the authority to make that happen. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Today answers the when question. You answers the who. And with me in paradise answers the where. So firstly today. Jesus promises that paradise begins for the thief today, the moment he dies. Now, there's a theory out there among Christians called soul sleep. Uh, Christians notice that the Bible sometimes talks about death as sleep. And so their view is that between death and judgement, believers go into a state of unconscious existence, like sleeping or like anaesthesia perhaps, and that the next thing after they die will, that they will realise, the next thing they'll realise is that they wake up at judgement day and it sort of happens like that, however, period, however long the period of time is between death and judgement. But notice here, Jesus doesn't say you will die and then a thousand years later you will wake in paradise and it will seem like today. No, he doesn't say that. He says today you will be with me in paradise. There are other parts of the Bible that appear, I think, to be talking about believers who've died being conscious of things that are happening around them, things on earth. Uh, One example is the story Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. A rich man dies and goes to hell. The word is Hades. Uh, There's a poor beggar called Lazarus who also dies and he goes to be with God. Uh, Verse 22 describes that as being at Abraham's side. Verse 23, the rich man is in torment. He can see Lazarus and Abraham a long way off. He asks Abraham to send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool his tongue because he's in agony. Abraham replies there's no way to cross between the two places, between Hades and heaven, because there's a great chasm in between. And so the rich man instead begs Abraham to send Lazarus to at least warn the rich man's brothers about hell. But Abraham says that they already have all the warnings God intends. Now, that's a quick summary. There's a few things the story teaches us, I think, to do with our topic. One is, notice that this is set before Judgment Day. The rich man's brothers are still living and he wants to warn them before judgement, before it's too late. So whatever's going on, it's between death and judgement. The second thing to notice is the dead are conscious. The rich man is definitely conscious and and we assume that Lazarus is as well. They're not sleeping. 
The rich man can see heaven, he can see paradise, maybe even see his brothers on earth, even if he can't communicate with them. So it seems whatever happens to people when they die, it is not delayed until judgement day. When they die, they're either with Christ in heaven or by Abraham's side, according to this story, same, same place, or they're in hell, they're in, in Hades. The third thing to notice is that you can't move between Hades and Abraham's side, between heaven and Hades. There's a great chasm, a, a great valley between. There's no way that you can move from one to the other. And that's against uh, the, the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. Uh, Catholic Church understands purgatory is like a holding bay, a waiting room, that's neither heaven or ha- nor Hades and that living relatives can influence the fate of their loved ones in purgatory by praying for them or donating money. But there's none of that here. There's one or the other and there's no way to cross over. Uh, so that answers the first question, when? Uh, the second question Jesus answers in that short sentence is, Who? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. You. Who's the you? Well, it's the thief. Uh, The other one, we presume, wouldn't be with Jesus, but it was the thief who trusted Jesus. Which is interesting because on on the surface at least, the two of them had lived a similar life. Both of them had committed crimes worthy of death. So who was this one who'd received the promise Well, firstly, a thief who'd recognised his own state. He said, we are being punished justly. He saw himself as a sinner with nothing to offer God. He was throwing himself on God's mercy, on Jesus' mercy. A sinner who had lived ignoring God and doing his own thing. The second thing he did was to recognise who Jesus was. He said, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Who did he understand Jesus to be? He was the perfect, innocent king. He was the one who would bring a new kingdom and bring it with power. That was the kingdom this thief wanted to be part of. It had nothing to do with the thief living a good life or even being able to live a good life in the future. That is the person Jesus makes this promise to. Someone who sees himself clearly, someone who sees Jesus clearly and then who throws himself on the mercy of Jesus the King. I wonder if that's something you've done. But let's get more specific. When we say the thief would be in paradise, what did we actually mean? Did we mean his body would be in paradise? Well, no. His body would still be hanging on the cross or in a tomb after he died. Uh, What we mean when we say the thief would be with Jesus is that his soul or his spirit would be with Jesus. His identity, his personhood would be with Jesus because of course your body is not you. Your body is not who you are. Whatever it is that makes you, you, it's not a body. 
When you go to a funeral, it's not actually your loved one who's in that coffin. It's their tent. It's their body. Your loved one is gone. It's the shell. It's the clothing that they were clothed in. That's what's left behind. It's the spirits or souls that the, body talk, that the Bible talks about when it talks about who will be in heaven. So one example is uh, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. Uh, talking about heaven, it says, You have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. So there's angels, there's God, there's all sorts of other things, but there's also the spirits of righteous men. That's Hebrews 12. Revelation 6 describes another vision of what's happening in heaven right now. John said when he opened the fifth seal, John, the author of Revelation, saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and told to wait a little longer. So John's seeing a picture of what's happening in heaven right now. The altar uh, is symbolic of uh, the the heavenly temple where where God is uh, and the the martyrs, those who have been killed for their testimony of Jesus, are there, they're conscious, they're with God and they're waiting they're waiting for Judgment Day. Uh, there's one other passage that we're going to look at as we think about exactly what will be with Jesus in Paradise uh, and that was the, the one that Mary read for us, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, Paul talks about his physical body and he talks about his eternal resurrection body. Uh, one body we have before we die and another body we have after the resurrection but there's also a hint about a, a third state uh, in between those two bodies. Uh, listen to it with me. Uh, we've got it up there on the screen as well. Paul says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in, that's our physical body, is destroyed, in other words, we die, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. That's our eternal resurrection body. Two different bodies, like the kids talk, Catherine's kids talk, a tent and a house. Uh, Notice also that you live in your body. Once again we get the idea that the body is not who you are, you inhabit your body, uh, like a tent. But then in verse 2 he switches uh, from houses and tents to clothes, but it's the same idea. Verse 2, Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Now did you notice? Uh, You can be clothed with your earthly clothes, that's our earthly body. You can be clothed with your heavenly clothes, that's your... Uh, resurrection body which comes on judgement day but there's also this in between state this state of being unclothed 
of being naked, of not having a body. I take it that's what happens when you're dead. Between death and judgement, when you have neither a physical body nor a resurrection body. And so Jesus can say to the thief on the cross, you'll be with me now and it will be paradise. It'll be good, you'll be with me. There'll be rest, there'll be comfort, there'll be peace. But this description is also saying it's naked, it's not final, it's not ultimate. It's you, it's your soul, it's your spirit, but you're not yet clothed for eternity. There's still something that you're waiting for. It's not what you were designed for. Paul continues in verse 5, I long to be clothed with my heavenly dwelling. It's God who's made us for this very purpose and given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. Uh, That's our goal, resurrection bodies, uh, with Jesus right there with us, God living amongst us. That's our future, with our resurrection bodies. Uh, Well, that's the second question, who? Uh, The Bible's answer is that for those who recognise Jesus, uh, who repent, who acknowledge him, Uh, The day they die, they will be with Jesus in paradise. Not their body, just their soul or their spirit. Well, the third question, where? Where will they be? Uh, Well, back uh, in that verse that we saw, uh, they will be with Jesus in paradise. Uh, We can experience something of Jesus now. Uh, His spirit lives in us. Uh, Something of the closeness and the intimacy Uh, of Jesus walking with us day by day through the power of his spirit. Uh, But when we die, Jesus promises that we will be with him in an even greater way, with no separation, no barriers and no sin. So in that sense it will be paradise. Uh, Paul goes on in the second half of our passage to describe what that reality means for our attitude now. Therefore, since that's the case, since we're waiting for home and our resurrection bodies, therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Now, we live by faith, not by sight. We're confident and, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and home, at home with the Lord. So, what's our attitude now? We're we're to have confidence about our future. Uh, yes, it's okay to prefer to be home, to, to long for our heavenly bodies, our resurrection bodies, because that's what we were made for. And so, let's return to the question we began with. When a loved one dies, um, we just want to know that they will be alright. What do we know about them? Well, the Bible's answer is that if they belong to Jesus then they'll be home, they'll be with the Lord, they'll be in paradise. To be at home is the safest place to be. The Westminster Confession is sort of what the Westminster Catechism is based on, so it's like the long explanation for which the catechisms are just short question and answers. And uh, the Westminster Confession sums up all of these passages really nicely. And uh, it's clear, but it's also comforting. Let me read it. 
The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, which just means they decay. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved for judgment of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledgeth none. And that last little sentence is a a little echo of the time in which the confession was written, which was of course shortly uh, after the Reformation really kicked off and purgatory was a a doctrine that uh, the the reformers were um, finding no evidence for in the Bible. Well, that's the who and the when and the where. The last question is, so, so what? What difference do those truths make for us today? Well, have a look at how Paul concludes in verses 9 and 10 of 2 Corinthians 5. He's confident that he belongs to Jesus. He's living by faith. He's trusting that the future is sure. Uh, Verse 7, he lives by faith, not by sight. And then we come to verse 9. So what? So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or, or, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. If our reward for those who are in Christ is to be with him and clothed with heavenly bodies, how should we live now? Well, you want to make it your goal to please him, don't you? Judgment is waiting. The reward of a heavenly body is waiting. Live to please Christ. What's your purpose in 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 life, to please Christ. What's your priority? To please Christ. What's your motivation? To please Christ. And your attitude as you do it is confidence that comes because it's Christ who's earned our salvation for us. Does that describe you? Living by faith, confident, uh, hoping, making your goal of pleasing Christ? And if someone asks you if their loved one is okay, if they're safe, then explain to them what it means to be at home with the Lord. Explain what paradise is about and how the thief could be given that promise from Jesus. But then ask that person who questions you, well, that's Grandma, but what about you? Are you making it your goal to please Christ? Are you recognising him? Because that's what really matters. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would help us to understand your word, uh, help us to take comfort in it, uh, help us to be confident, not because of our own efforts or our own understanding, but because of Jesus and because of the trustworthiness of your promises. And we pray that uh, as we look forward 
to paradise and being clothed and uh, receiving the resurrection bodies for which we were made, that we might rejoice in those truths, uh, that we might live for you, uh, seeking to please Christ in everything, that he might receive the honour and glory. Amen.